0: Hello and greetings, thank you for your interest in spiritual matters and for the gift of spending some time as we explore what God has made known, that we can live to grow closer to him and glorify him in all things. My name's Ethan, I work with the Venice Church of Christ, we're Disciples Making Disciples in Los Angeles. Now as babies, we all survived and grew because we drank milk or we consumed some kind of formula that was designed to be something like a mother's milk. And without it, we would not have been able to survive. Uh, as babies, our constitutions were not designed to consume anything else, and we would have perished, uh, having failed to thrive. And in the New Testament, the apostles and their associates will use that milk as a metaphor to give, uh, to describe a life-giving primary doctrines and practices of the faith. And so we'd love to know what you think about spiritual milk and what the scriptures say about spiritual milk. and what, what do we mean when we talk about spiritual milk? Why do we consider spiritual milk to be spiritual milk? Why is spiritual milk important for all Christians? But why does milk on its own prove insufficient? So again, love to hear your thoughts about that. What are, what's spiritual milk? What is spiritual milk considered that way? Uh, why is it important for all Christians? But why is it in its own insufficient. So we're going to begin our exploration by looking at the the passages that talk about it. And to understand first, what is milk in the scripture? Well, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, the way that the metaphor works understands that milk is the food that babies consume to survive so they can grow up. And in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, Paul will use it in its concrete sense, uh, talking about how does a man who you know, milks animals have the right to consume that milk? Uh, he's using that as a way to just talk about how those who preach the gospel should make their living on the gospel. But that the example uh, is something that shows that milk is a food that is also consumed by adults, um, and it com- the ones that come from animals. Now, when we look at spiritual milk itself, it's used in three passages in the New Testament with three different directions, really. And the first one is in 1 Corinthians 3, in the first four verses. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, from 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10 through the end of chapter 4, Paul is writing to correct the Corinthian Christians because they become petty factionalists, uh, where they have kind of created little um, sects among themselves uh, pursuing different preachers. I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Paul, I am of Christ. And he's now identified the real challenge that has led to that situation. The Corinthian Christians are thinking in very worldly ways, according to the ways of the world, not what God has established in Christ. And so because of that, he's communicating with the Corinthian Christians in a way he calls milk and not meat, because they are carnal or worldly in their thinking, not spiritual. And the whole second chapter he had talked about the importance of spiritual discernment of what God has accomplished in Christ. And so Paul be- gives us one important way of understanding spiritual milk, that it's a means by which we communicate certain principles of the faith to those who are still in worldly carnal ways of thinking, feeling, and acting. In Hebrews 5:11 through 6, 3, we have the Hebrews author speaking of milk, and he uses it in a different way. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. The Hebrews author is in the midst of a sustained argument regarding Jesus as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek and what all that means. And he's recognizing that is spiritual meat. This is advanced stuff. This is uh, stuff that requires a lot of understanding. And he takes a second to chastise his audience, uh, whether just to challenge them or to really lay into them. And he says, you they should be teachers by now, but they have become sluggish and they need to be reacquainted with the basic principles of the faith. And he describes us that they need milk, not solid food, that those who are milk are unskilled in the word of righteousness because they're children, basically. Now, before he moves on entirely to actually go into the doctrines that he wants to talk about, which kind of talks about this as a conceit a little bit, since he clearly thinks they can handle that spiritual meat because he tells it to them. Uh, He does kind of lay out some of those elementary doctrines that this would involve for his audience. Repentance for dead works, faith toward God, teaching about washing, laying on of hands, the resurrection of deads, and eternal judgment. We should not look at that as the dogmatic list of the first principles. Uh, They are certainly not less than the first principles, uh, but we can certainly imagine others that might go along with that. And we understand it because the Hebrews author is looking at spiritual milk as the doctrines and practices that provide the foundational framework upon which everything else can be built. And the fact that some of the Christians who should have known better needed that reinforcement, that foundation, and the understanding that certain more advanced things could not be approached until uh, those fundamentals were soundly in place. And the last time we see spiritual milk mentioned is in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. In 1 Peter 2, 1-9, Peter is telling the Christians of Asia Minor to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So, all of that evil stuff, that, especially communication, that ruins relationships. To consider themselves a living temple of God in Christ. Uh, to appropriate... What God had said about Israel uh, to the people of God today as the Christians, uh, that you are now the holy nation, the, the, the royal priesthood, the chosen race, the people for his possession. Uh, all these things said of Israel are now true about the Christians. And so, in this context, he encouraged these Christians of Asia Minor, if they have tasted the Lord is good, in verse 3, to as newborn babies intensely crave this unadulterated logike milk that they might grow up to salvation. Logike is the Greek word therefore uh, translated in the English standard as uh, spiritual. Logike really means reasonable or of the word. Literally means logical. And in 1 Peter 2 and Romans 12, 1, the English standard has made the decision uh, to translate logike as spiritual. And we need to understand that that is an interpretive definition, uh, that the word really means logical, reasonable, of the word. But we understand why the English Standard would make that translation, and it is appropriate translation. Because what is uh, the uh, reasonable service of the Christian? What is the reasonable milk uh, that is pure? Well, it's spiritual. It's It's what you get from what the Spirit has made known. It derives from the Spirit in what God has made known in Christ. And... We need to be careful with the way Peter uses this. It's very easy to import what Paul and the Hebrews author have said about spiritual milk into what Peter does. And we need to be careful because it's very easy to get the idea that a metaphor is used consistently throughout Scripture. And some metaphors are used consistently throughout Scripture, but there are a lot of times when you've got overlapping metaphors, where you have... uh, a metaphor that will be used slightly differently in slightly different contexts uh, so that it provides that guidance and challenge about you know, being careful about it. And, and the reason for that is two things. First of all, uh, when Peter writes to these Christians of uh, Asia Minor, uh, he has not presumed that they are somehow theologically naive. He doesn't suggest that they are new to the faith anywhere. And so he's not presuming that he's writing to people who are spiritually unlearned. And secondly, there's no contrast here between milk and meat. And if we are going to say there's a contrast, it's only because we're introducing that contrast from other passages. In fact, the way that Peter seems to be using the idea is that everything that we might consider milk and meat in other passages here refers to spiritual milk. That spiritual milk here is that uh, life-giving, sustaining food that we depend upon if we're not going to fail to thrive. Uh, In that sense, Peter might be looking more to Deuteronomy 8, that we uh, are sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because notice, he's saying that all of you, like newborn infants, All the Christians are to see themselves as these babies longing for that milk to grow up to salvation. But they've already tasted that the Lord is good. So they already have some experience there. And in verses 3 through 9 of chapter 1, you hear how God has caused them to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that they've got this inheritance. They're being guarded through faith for that salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. So it... You could try to read this in terms of what Paul, the Hebrews author, have done, but I think it makes more sense to look at what Peter's doing on its own, and that all Christians are to be as newborn babes, yearning and intensely craving that spiritual, that reasonable of the word milk, pure from what God has made known in Christ, has made known in Scripture, that we may grow by that into salvation, that that's a a continually uh, operating thing that continues on whether we've been a Christian for five minutes or five years or 50 years that we're still in that posture of that newborn baby trying to grow into our salvation and that this that pure unadulterated milk uh, would certainly be the elementary doctrines of the faith, but also would be things like Jesus, the high uh, priest, and the order of Melchizedek, and some of the more what we consider advanced doctrines, that that all is part of that spiritual milk that Peter has in mind. So we can see from these passages that spiritual milk is sustenance from God through what he has made known in God and Christ, that when it's contrasted with spiritual meat, it involves basic fundamental doctrines and principles of the faith, and also a way of communicating about the faith that can be understood by those who are more worldly-minded, who have not yet put on Christ or have not yet really been transformed in their thinking according to the ways of Christ. So, having looked at spiritual milk that way, let's let's take a second to really make that contrast between the milk and the meat. We have seen what Peter has done with saying that all doctrine, all that which comes from the word of God is is that milk we should be yearning for. And that's very important. Um, But let's look at the way that Paul and the Hebrews author are making that differentiation. And what would be milk in that contrast? And in Paul's sense, that milk would be anytime we're using concrete metaphors of the world to try to communicate some kind of spiritual truth, that we're trying to, uh, he speaks as though carnal. He'll say that in Romans 6, uh, when he very bluntly says that, all right, you were a slave of sin, but thanks be to God, you were delivered from being a slave of sin. Now you're a slave of righteousness. Um, And he's saying that's a carnal way of looking at it because it's looking at it in a very worldly way. Where we look at other pastors, we can see that we're, we are s- servants of God. We are, you could even use that term, slaves of God. But it's not exactly like the slavery we have in the world. And um, it, it's a, it's God cares for us and has provision for us. And uh, we are children of God. And so there's other ways of looking at that. But Paul uses that very carnal way of looking at it t- so that the Romans have the right understanding, and don't import that child entitlement, well, I am a child, therefore I deserve what I'm going to get, uh, which is that carnal way of thinking that he's trying to avoid by using this other metaphor. When it comes to uh, what the Hebrews author is doing, you know, it, it's kind of the much more clear-cut, uh, there are basic elementary ideas of the faith that you have to use as your foundation upon which you can build more advanced understandings. And so the list that he gives kind of provides a way forward. Repentance from dead works would be changing one's heart and mind away from dependence on works of the law. So part of it is that you get away from thinking uh, that I'm doing this based on obligation, uh, that I have to do these works of law, that we understand what it means to obey having been delivered in grace. Faith toward God which certainly includes belief, the mental acceptance of the proposition that there is a God, but movement toward trust in relationship, which is what understanding what faith demands. To have faith toward God means that we put our trust more in God and less in ourselves, the way of the world, our customs, everything else. Teaching regarding washings. The fact that the Hebrews author uses the plural baptisms may relate to different kinds of natures of washings to differentiate ritual cleansings under the law or the baptism of John from baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, which is an issue in Acts 19 and some other passages. Uh, that kind of thing, very much related to uh, the context in which the Hebrews author is writing. Laying on of hands could have something to do with charismata the uh, spiritual gifts of prophecy, speaking in tongues, things like that in the first century. But laying on of hands is a way of commissioning. Uh, to lay some hands on somebody is to commission them for a service. So it certainly could be about who should be commissioned to do what and how. Resurrection of the dead, which is what, what, what is resurrection, what does it demand, and how it changes everything. And then eternal judgment, the promise of Jesus' imminent return, the importance of preparation, and expectation of judgment based on what is done in the body. So this idea of, uh, you can see in these things that there's a basic understanding of them, but you can also see there be be a higher level of understanding that would go beyond spiritual milk. So we, we're not going to say, well, see, there's eternal judgment, so everything eschatology is therefore a matter of spiritual milk. That would be a wrong conclusion. That there will be a judgment, that the judgment means you need to live in a certain way is certainly part of the milk. Getting into the details of how Revelation envisions uh, the end uh, or the way that Peter and Paul envision the end, some of that might be very much more spiritual meat. Um, same with resurrection, you know, there's a basic understanding of resurrection, then there's the details and, and getting into more what resurrection means and demands. So even in issues that we would say are basic doctrines, the way that we are saved, things of that nature, there still could be a level of spiritual meat involved, uh, not just milk. Uh, but we certainly understand that there's a basic nature of it that absolutely consistent with, with milk. And so it's not just these specific things, it's, it's understanding what these specific things are pointing to. So the fundamentals of the gospel would certainly be milk, who God is, that there is a God, that he is our creator, that he has worked in Israel that he has made the promise and has established the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and lordship of Jesus, then Jesus is going to return soon. That story is absolutely part of that milk. The basic principles of righteousness and sin, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, like in Galatians 5. Uh, Participation in the assemblies of the local church and the acts of the the assemblies and engaging with one's fellow Christians in Hebrews 10.25. Uh, importance of hearing the word and, and living in prayer and things of that nature. And it's absolutely important, right? These are these principles of doctrines and practice that provide the foundation of the faith. They can be understood by all who have a desire to hear, and they should be practiced. And what happens when they're not shows you how important they are. Because what happens to those who are learning of the faith or Christians young in the faith? That milk is essential if they're going to develop well in their faith. There's a tendency that preachers can tell you about where there's this initial enthusiasm and there's this establishment of habit where if a person finds out about Jesus, if in those crucial first days after they have become Christians, they, have, they establish a strong foundation of what the faith is about, what they're expected to do, that they will rise to the occasion. You will see a lot of great spiritual growth. But if there is a lag in instruction in those very critical, formative few days or weeks, they fall into uh less healthy, less productive patterns where they have they marry much more what they have understood before with what they have now uh, figured out, and they look around and kind of end up doing the, the, the bare minimum. Now, it's possible those who have a lot of faith and enthusiasm will wane at some point and become less productive. And it's possible for uh, those who started out not so strongly to have a a moment of repentance and really grow uh, and develop. So it's not like these are predetermined uh, pathways. But... Unfortunately, we can definitely see the trajectory difference, and a portion of that trajectory difference is based on whether or not that new Christian has been appropriately instructed in the basic principles in a way they understand. Uh, Part of the problem with that is that we come as Christians and we speak it in Christianese. We speak as to though, if you want to look at it in the positive sense, as to those who are spiritually minded, right? That we have all of these terms: sanctification, justification, uh, righteousness, holiness—all these terms that we use, and we use them in very spiritual ways. We assume our audience understands them. Um, th- that's why we need to remember that part of the milk, meat, milk thing here is the carnal versus uh, spiritual. Uh, that when we're communicating the basic truths of the gospel, that we explain what the words mean. Jesus is the Christ. The Christ is the anointed one. He is king. When you hear Christ, you think king. When you hear Christ, you think king. That is a reduction of that concept, absolutely. It's carnal, yes. But it. if the person doesn't really have a strong foundation of Christ is king... Uh, they're going to not really do well uh, in when you try to do the more nuanced understanding of the anointed one and things of that nature and uh, what that refers to in the Old Testament and things because their concept, the core concept has not been grounded right. When it comes to talking about the righteousness things, we need to be very concrete. These are the kind of things you do when you're living in righteousness. This is how you show love. This is how you exhibit patience. This is how you help those in need. What does prayer look like? You should pray to God. How many times do people uh, learn they should pray, but they're never really taught how to pray? Uh, I myself have have needed to really put a lot of effort into trying to figure out how to pray well, because when I was brought to faith, it was just assumed that you go figure out how to pray on your own. Uh, that even how to pray, really important that basic instruction is given to help Christians learn how to pray, how to develop good study habits, how to uh, maintain the habits of assembling with the saints. Uh, what is expected of the Christian based upon what that story is? And again, you get what you ask for. If the story is, don't be these people, believe these things and you're fine, that's what people will do. If you point people to uh, suffer with the Christ and be glorified with him, that's what people are going to be more willing to do. And so... We have to think about making sure we're communicating the message in ways that will be understood by people who haven't yet developed to have a spiritual understanding, as well as making sure we provide that comprehensive foundation. Yes, there's a lot to that comprehensive foundation in terms of making sure a person understands what the Bible is, the grand sweep of the Bible story, what the gospel is, and how we respond to it, uh, what righteousness is, what sin is. Uh, how to practice righteousness, how to avoid sin, Uh, what is the church, why the church, how is the church supposed to function, and what goes on in the church's assemblies, Uh, understanding the basics of what is in the Bible and how to read and understand the Bible uh, the way God would have us to read and understand it, Uh, basic doctrines, uh, looking at who is God, who is Jesus, who is Holy Spirit, what is salvation what is the church what is uh, what does it mean that jesus is going to return what are these what are these things all about um, understanding the basic bible characters who is moses who is elijah who is peter who is paul you know uh, understand the bible history i mean these events are all 2 to 5000 years in the past or more and therefore trying to understand all of these things Uh, and giving a basic understanding that they can be illuminated in, in these matters. And what does it mean to tell other people about Jesus? What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to serve other people? That's a lot of stuff, right? But if you don't pour that whole foundation... There's going to be parts that are not properly set, and so then when you try to add on advanced doctrines or to focus in on greater depth on one area, uh, there's nothing grounding that conversation. There's nothing to support whatever edification you're trying to build there, and it's just going to collapse. And so that's why making sure that foundation is well laid. And while there's the enthusiasm to lay that foundation, where the heart is still very easily molded and shaped and formed is so important. And that is why it is so important to in focus on matters of spiritual milk with the youngest in the faith that they may grow and maintain a strong foundation. But even for those who have been Christians a while, spiritual milk remains very important. As we've seen, Peter looks at all the doctrines of the faith, all this stuff, as yearning for the pure milk of the word if we're going to grow into salvation. Uh, Peter himself, in the second letter, in 2 Peter 1, 13-15, 3, 1, and 2, twice, insists, I'm stirring you up by a way of reminder, and as long as I'm in the flesh, I'm going to remind you of things to refresh these ideas in your head. Uh, we need to not become like the Hebrews audience where even if it's just a momentary uh, conceit to try to goad his audience into listening more, this idea you need to have someone teach you again the basic oracles of God, we should never be in the position where that needs to be said of us, where we have spent so much time focusing on the infrastructure we've built, the details here and there in the story that we have maybe not actively forgotten in the sense that, oh man, Jesus did this or Jesus did that, uh, but the the fact that is not in our minds, that we don't refresh in our minds the story of what God has done in Christ to the point where we stray from it. That is why there is this constant emphasis in reminding ourselves of the story, while all of these letters that are written remind of the story, while there's constant reinforcement of that uh, story. Partially because we are going to find that elements of that story are going to hit us differently different times in our lives whereas we grow in our faith grow in our experiences grow in life certain elements of what god has to say in jesus are going to hit differently uh certain things we just glossed over or took for granted mean much more later on based upon other experiences uh other things that we thought maybe were really important in one phase may not be as important in the later phase um but we need to constantly be re-exposed re- to that story. That there's never seemingly an end to remind ourselves what God has done in Christ as a constant motivator to continue to live and to maintain that zeal, maintain that love, uh, that we don't have to be like the uh, church in Ephesus told to repent or our stand will be removed. And it's important to realize that the people of God consistently have always gone back to the core fundamentals of who they are who is our god what has he done why should we serve him Uh, in the psalms god is our creator god has demonstrated covenant loyalty and that reinforced over and over again reminds you of that and changes the way you look at things and the same is true in christ Uh, god is our creator god has demonstrated covenant loyalty god has acted in christ That is the model for how we are to live, and we're constantly to be reacquainted with that so that we are constantly challenged to move forward and to maintain that zeal that we have at first even as we grow and endure various challenges. And so, that spiritual milk, we don't grow out of it. Just like as adults, we can maintain milk as part of our diet, unless you have a lactose intolerance, and and forgive me for those in the audience who may... uh, Uh, have that challenge or that issue, Uh, but you understand that milk is still part of the adult diet as a reinforcement and that spiritual milk, therefore, absolutely needs to be part of that diet as well. Now, as important as spiritual milk is, and we don't want to underestimate that it's important, as the hebrews author himself has said in hebrews 5 11 through 14 it's not sufficient that those who uh, are have milk have not moved on to solid food have not been able to grow to that level and w- when we say this we're not talking about spiritual milk at all in the way peter does in first peter 2 2 we will never outgrow that pure spiritual milk that peter has in mind that we're growing into salvation uh, because peter's looking at this image differently than, than Paul and the Hebrews author. But both Paul and the Hebrews author have this expectation that the there will be growth, that the Corinthian Christians will be able to start understanding things spiritually, that they can move on to the meat, and the Hebrews audience will be able to grow into maturity to handle the meat. Um, we have a term in... Uh, Failure to thrive in the medical community. Failure to thrive is when a child is not growing sufficiently. And it generally means that there's some kind of metabolic issue where food is not being properly processed and therefore the the body's not getting the nutrients it needs out of food. And there have been cases where children have died because they have failed to thrive. Uh, It's not that their parents weren't feeding them, uh, their parents fed them, but the children had some kind of metabolic disorder. They couldn't get the nutrients they needed and they died. That's the thing. Uh, Children need to advance to solid food if they're going to grow and that's also true of us in faith a spiritual diet of only spiritual milk without any spiritual meat or solid food however you want to look at that term is going to lead to uh, spiritual failure to thrive where you have christians stuck at a low spiritual developmental level with stunted growth and that's what's happened sometimes when some people have latched onto the importance of spiritual meat and became spiritual milk, excuse me, and became dogmatic about it. Where we are going to insist on the fundamentals. We're going to insist on the spiritual milk. And again, that's a very important starting out diet for Christians. It's an important additive and reinforcer in diet of Christians. But the idea is that Christians grow beyond milk into meat into growth in their faith and able to digest some of the more difficult and challenging aspects because if they don't reach that level of faith development situations and crises in their lives are going to take place that are going to sweep them away because they won't have the tools to be able to handle the storms of life that they are dealing with or they are caught in this way of looking at things that is unhealthy for them and for them or for those around them where they start very easily falling prey to all kinds of difficulties uh, being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine because they haven't grown to be able to deal with the challenges and difficulties of living the Christian life in faith, where there's not always black and white, where there are shades of gray, where we need to handle the paradoxes of the faith that we can't just have a flat and two-dimensional this or that, but this and that in ways uh, that... Uh, are challenging, but ultimately, what we need to do in order to live without becoming Pharisees, coming uh, too worldly, and that requires spiritual discernment and development and growth and handling spiritual meat. And so, we should not become dogmatic. And likewise, we shouldn't become dogmatic all spiritual meat without milk. Uh, that we need the balance, and that balance, which admittedly sometimes can be hard to find and is very contextual very much based on the people and where they're at, uh, but that balance needs to be struck uh, for Christians to really be able to grow in their faith. And so we've looked at spiritual milk today. That spiritual milk represents the basics of the faith and doctrine and practice, uh, that it represents a, the, a way of understanding things that is more approachable uh, than those who have more of a spiritual understanding. And in one sense, it can refer to all that we derive from the Word of God. And that spiritual milk is extremely important if we're going to see proper foundation growth in the faith, both in terms of doctrine and practice, uh, for those coming to learn of the faith and new in the faith. And that it's essential for reinforcement uh, in the life of a Christian, but that we need to grow in the faith and pursue spiritual meat or solid food as well as spiritual milk if we would properly glorify and honor God in Christ. And that's why we all do well to find sustenance from the spiritual milk of the Word of God and grow into salvation in Christ Jesus just as peter has encouraged all of us to do let us go to god in prayer father hallowed be your name we're so thankful for all the things you provided for us for your love your care your concern for us your covenant loyalty that we certainly have not merited for your uh, salvation you've offered in jesus and the the life of jesus and his death his resurrection his ascension that he is reigning as lord and that he will indeed return soon and we do pray, Father, that he would return soon, that we would share with you in the resurrection of life. We're thankful for the spirit by which you've come to know. we have come to know these things and be strengthened and sustained, and the word that he has inspired for us, for one another as, as fellow Christians, and those interested in the faith for uh, the health you've given us, the prosperity we enjoy for all the many spiritual blessings we often take for granted. We're mindful this time, Father, of many who are in deep distress. We pray that you would heal those who are ill, that you would comfort and strengthen those who uh, grieve and mourn, that you would provide for those who are in desperate need, and that you would uh, protect all of those who put themselves in harm's way to uh, better the lives of others. We pray that justice and righteousness be accomplished in our land, and we pray for all men, especially those in authority, that we may have uh, peace and tranquility to serve you in godliness. Uh, This time, Father, we, we pray that you would give us that heart to yearn for that spiritual milk, uh, from the word that you have given us. We pray for discernment understanding to uh, be constantly refreshed in the milk of the word, to uh, help encourage those who are young in the faith to build a good foundation in the milk of the word, uh, that we would be constantly reinforced in the basic doctrines of the truth, that we might uh, anchor the, ourselves in them and to be transformed by them continually, and that we would grow up into salvation and obtain eternal life in your Son through uh, these endeavors. And, of course, all based upon uh, the grace you have displayed toward us and the faith that we have in you. Uh, Continue to guide, direct us until the Lord returns, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Again, we'd love to hear your uh, thoughts on these subjects about what is spiritual milk, why is it so important, but what are its limitations? Um, Again, what is spiritual milk, why is it so important, and what are some of its limitations? And if we can be of any service, if you'd like to learn more about these things, if we can be of any spiritual service, please reach out to us at venicechurchofchrist.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And if there's any other way we can serve, let us know. And we look forward to encouraging you again in the future. And may the Lord bless and keep you until then. Have a great day.